0: Hello and welcome to The Rogers Brief for May 20th, 2023. I'm Adam Rogers. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. If you're catching this on Apple or Spotify podcast, if you uh, enjoy this kind of content, make sure to like and subscribe, share that uh, with others through your networks and all that sort of thing. Uh, what I talk about in this channel, uh, if those are new as uh, uh, legal stories that are in the news that either have a primary feature of the story or else they're some unexplored angle i look at cases that are released each week in nova scotia and through the supreme court of canada and pick out some of the interesting ones and there's so a few interesting ones this week uh, national news in two pieces of legislation the bail reform legislation that was introduced this week by the federal government and then also there was a bill c21 firearms legislation that passed parliament this week so there's those two, and then there's some cases out of Nova Scotia, a small claims court case. Really interesting one, uh, good win for the little guy, and the guy had a collectibles collection, and uh, so that was uh, an interesting case. I'll talk about that. There was uh, two brothers fighting in uh, big interval up in uh, Northern Cape Breton. Uh, one claimed self-defense, I'll talk about that one. A guy was sentenced in Truro for threatening a judge, and then, finally, I'll talk about the uh, Kayla Borden, uh, Nova Scotia Police Review Board uh, complaint that was dismissed. But uh, first, some, uh, some sad news. Uh, this week, uh, Barbara Ann Reddick uh, passed away. Uh, Barbara Reddick would be known uh, to many from, uh, from the Chase the Ace uh, case out of Marguerite. Uh, Mrs. Reddick was a client of mine. I represented her in that case. Uh, She left us way too soon. She was 63 years old. Uh, Many people... uh, She was really unfairly treated in the public eye, I thought, not only during the case uh, when it first emerged, but uh, in some cases since then. I've seen it on uh, social media and Instagram uh, since. Uh, But uh, she was much more than her involvement in that case. Uh, She was uh, in the military. She spent 23 years in the military. She won a, a Peacekeeper's Medal uh, for her actions in the Golan Heights. Uh, she was considered a, a second mother to many uh, nieces and nephews. She started Hampers of Hope, which was, uh, gave assistance to veterans, and then as the program expanded to others that needed help. She won the Unsung Hero Award in 2021 for her volunteer work in uh, the African Nova Scotian community of Sunnyville, close to Goshborough here. And she was also a recipient of the QE2 Platinum Jubilee Medal so uh, quite an accomplished person and um, anyway handled herself quite well through some difficult circumstances a few years back and i was uh, proud to know her and um, just get to know people as a client that uh in, in ways that nobody else really does in some cases and uh, so i had tremendous respect for for mrs reddick and so condolences to her husband flint and to her five brothers and, and four sisters including uh, Mary Desmond, who's a councillor here in uh, in Gagebro, a municipal councillor, so, and uh, uh, someone who was involved in the military as well. Okay, so, uh, rest in peace, Barbara Ann Reddick. Okay, so on to the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, stories of the week. First thing is, this bail reform legislation was tabled by Justice Minister uh, Lametti, Dave Lametti, in Ottawa, Bill C-48 is the... Uh, Number for the legislation, and what this is is in reaction to some of the stories that have been out nationally about how um, you know it's too easy to get bail for violent offenders, and people have been out on bail and committed further offenses, including uh, uh, offenses against uh, police officers. Well, Lamedi, uh this the original Liberal legislation was in reaction to a Supreme Court of Canada decision, which really because people have the right to bail under Section 11 of the uh, Charter. And uh, so there's some Charter issues there with when you try to limit people's ability to get bail. Now, Justice Minister Lametti says this is a targeted approach for repeat violent offenders. Uh, Pierre Polyev, the opposition leader, says it doesn't go far enough. Canadian Civil Liberties Association says it will not make the public safer. They say that p- crime rates are down and bail denial is up 400%. Big problem in uh, Toronto uh, and other uh, parts of Ontario. I know the bail system there is really overwhelmed. Um, that's more of a resource issue than a, uh, you know, state of the law issue. Although of course, one can affect the other. They said uh, two thirds of people that are in provincial jails are not convicted of a crime. Well, that can be. There's some statistics there. They're a little misleading in some cases. Like if people are. Uh, you know, get arrested and there's great certainty that not only have they actually committed the crime, but also that they're going to get jail time, then, you know, it's not unusual for them to be denied bail or to refuse or not even ask for bail pre, uh, before plea, you accumulate time that'll go against your sentence. So, uh, it's not that they're innocent. It's just maybe that they're not yet, uh, proven guilty in some cases. So, uh, wouldn't read too much into the CCLA statistics there. So the, what are the changes uh, that they're introducing this new legislation? Well, there's five. One is re- reverse onus. So normally it's up to the Crown to prove why you should be held in jail for certain offenses. And if you've you know breached a condition, then the onus is on you to show why you should be released. Reverse onus. So for Violent offences involving weapons, if the person has had a similar conviction within the last five years, well, that's a reverse onus now. Uh, if the person has unlawful possession of a loaded or prohibited or restricted firearm, and or they've done a break and enter to try to steal a firearm, then the re- that's a reverse onus. Uh, a reverse onus for intimate partner violence cases, certain ones. For breaches of conditions that involve a firearm, there's a reverse onus. And the fifth one, this is legislated to say what's already happening effectively, which is that the judge should consider an accused's history of violence uh, and, uh, you know, prior offense. Well, that all happens anyway. My, uh, There's a review time frame in the legislation that in five years, the legislation will be reviewed by a future government. To me, you know, there's lots of lots of you know people talking on both sides. I don't think this legislation is gonna make much of a difference at all. In those situations where there's now a reverse onus, it was very unusual for people to be granted bail in those cases anyway. You know, if you have a violent offense involving firearms and you've had a recent violent offense involving firearms, well, pretty uh, unlikely that you're gonna uh, be granted bail. So, in those rare cases where somebody could meet the reverse onus, well, then there's other nuanced circumstances that is proper for a judge to consider. But uh, I don't think this is going to really change the outcome of very many cases. So uh, that's, and it's in response to not only pressure from provinces and opposition parties, but it has to stay within the, within what's been described by the Supreme Court of Canada as, well, you know, you should be granted bail unless there's really uh, strong reasons not to. Okay, so that's enough of that uh, bail reform legislation. We'll see how that goes as it it makes its way through Parliament. Next one that has made its way through Parliament after a long process is Bill C-21, and this is the firearms legislation. Not much to say about that other than uh, it was the Liberals, NDP, Bloc, and Greens that voted for it. The Conservatives and two Liberals from rural ridings voted against it. It's been controversial throughout, reworked several times. Uh, It defines assault-style weapons for future developments in different firearms i guess there was a point where it listed you know hundreds of different firearms and and banned some that were being used in hunting and uh so that created a you know a lot of controversy throughout well it was a few months ago so now assault style is going to mean something that is not a handgun but is semi-automatic and designed with a detachable magazine of six plus cartridges so uh, we will see how that develops as uh as things come along okay so those are the two pieces of legislation. I'm going to talk about a few cases that are in the news. And these are Nova Scotia cases in all all four instances that I'm going to discuss. First one is this small claims court case. It came out a couple of weeks ago, but it wasn't actually uh, Jordan Bonaparte, who I go on his uh, podcast Sunday evenings with the Nighttime podcast, uh, mentioned this small claims court case to me. It's Chedre versus McLaughlin, Chedre, Chedre being the landlord. And had locked out McLaughlin from uh, his apartment that he was renting. And the residential tenancies board found that that was an improper act. Well, what the landlord had done was go in and clear the place out, did a lot of damage. And so uh, McLaughlin claimed that it was improper that he was locked out and that he suffered damages. Well, at the residential tenancies board, he was Successful, but only to the extent of $1,371. Some, uh, you know, return of deposits, some moving expenses, and some damage to furniture that could be proven at that level. The thing is, he had a whole bunch of collectibles claimed, like $20,000 uh, plus for collectibles. These cars, action figures, all these things that were in his apartment, he claimed. Problem at the Residential Tenancies Board is he had no expert evidence, no evidence really of what those, the values were other than his own. What happened? The landlord appealed. The landlord was forced to pay $1,371, appealed to Small Claims Court. And this uh, was heard by adjudicator uh, Dale Darling. And what happens at Small Claims Court, it's a hearing de novo. So you're not, unlike a regular appeal where you're bound by the trial record. In, when you go from residential tenancies to small claims you just start over so what did mr mclaughlin do he got an expert report this time he got a guy jimmy romaine who is somehow an expert or was accepted as an expert uh, by the uh, small claims court and produced a report that said if the collectibles that were uh, shown that mr mclaughlin owned uh, were in good condition then they'd be worth you know twenty thousand plus dollars uh, and they're now in their damaged state probably worth you know four or something okay so the how do you prove what kind of condition they were in well here's the irony the great irony was it was photos from the landlord the landlord had gone in when they locked the guy out to take photos to show what a mess the place was well yeah there was a you know it was a little dis, disorganized, maybe on the floor. But what the photo also showed was on the walls, these pristine, you know, still in the boxes, collectibles, cars, action figures. And so the uh, adjudicator of the small claims court said, okay, I've got an expert report. I have these photos that show that they were in great condition and awarded uh, $15,000 for the collectibles. So uh, bad move by the landlord, but to appeal and then to produce the photos. In that case, Really helped out the, uh, the claimant in that case. So, uh, good uh, good win for the little guy there. All right, uh, next case I want to talk about was this uh, Bradley Sturgeon. Uh, just mention it. It was a threats case. and It's unusual. Uh, you get this, I mean, it was threats to Judge Alain Béjean, the provincial court judge that sits regularly in Truro. And Bradley Sturgeon, 53 years old, uh, this is in December December 30th of last year, tried to renew his license at the DMV, and found out that his license was suspended because he had a DUI. Well, I don't know how he couldn't have known that, but uh, in any event, figured out that his license was suspended, and he's like, oh yes, that was Judge Bejean that convicted me of that, or whether he pled guilty or was convicted, it wasn't clear from the decision. And At the DMV, he said he was going to beat up Judge Béjean. Well, so they they called the police and reported that. But then Sturgeon actually did go to the courthouse in Truro. Judge Béjean was not there at the time. The sheriffs dealt with him, but uh, repeated what he had threatened and um, uh, was charged with uh, uttering threats. So uh, what do you do there? Uh, you can't just have the judge next door necessarily. They got an outside judge from uh, New Brunswick, Judge Claude Hachet, of New Brunswick uh, Provincial Court, and sentenced Mr. Sturgeon to uh, conditional sentence order, which is house arrest, two months of house arrest, two months with a curfew, and a year of probation after that. So, um, for those threats to Judge Bégin. All right, next case. Uh Queen or sorry King versus RV. McAvoy. And this is a ju- decision of Judge Peter Ross out of Sydney. Uh, first interesting part was in the one of the first or second paragraphs of the decision, Judge Ross noted that he had also heard the preliminary hearing. So in serious charges, you can have a preliminary hearing in provincial court to determine if there's enough evidence to go to Supreme Court for the trial. And usually there is, it's a low bar to cross. But you hear the preliminary hearing is done at provincial court level, and then your trial will be at supreme court. Well, sometimes people can re-elect to provincial court, have their trial held there. You can usually; it's usually done quicker. And I don't know. People make those decisions for different reasons. Supreme court, you can have a jury trial. Provincial court, you can't. Anyway, they re-elected back to provincial court, and it was Judge Ross that had heard the prelim. And he also ended up hearing the trial some months later, maybe, but anyway, both lawyers agreed to it. It was uh, Crown uh, Keevan uh, Matthew Finnerty uh, from Sydney, good Crown there, and uh, Kevin Patrick and, with Legal Aid in Port Oxbury on defense. So, an interesting move there. Anyway, the situation is more interesting though, uh, which was two brothers, Ernest and Alistair uh, McAvoy. Uh, Ernest is 61, Alistair's 58. Alistair. Was going to visit his 80-year-old mother in Big Interval. He drove from Sheddecamp on his motorcycle, and this was in June of 2020. And Ernest had just moved back the previous September to live with his mother, who was 80 years old. And uh, the two brothers, it said in the decision, had not spoken in 20 years. Okay, so didn't explain why, but clearly there was something going on there. And uh, Alistair went in to visit his mother. Ernest was out whippersnipping, snipping. Alistair comes out. There's gla- uh, grass shavings all over his motorcycle, which he had just cleaned, and so they get into an argument, of, an argument over that. Uh, words exchanged. The, Alistair said, "You're, you know, you're mooching on your grandma. You're, your, your 80 year old mother's probably in there making you lunch right now, and those sorts of things." And uh, so. Ernest decides he's going to go to the shed, and he gets a 12-gauge shotgun, pulls it back out, points it at Alistair up and down, and shoots him in the leg. Uh, he th- claimed that Alistair had gone towards him and was uh, threatening, uh, had his fists up and he's bigger, and he knew you know, he's, Alistair was bigger and he could probably take him if it came to that. And he was worried, so he shot him. Well, the judge didn't accept that at all as a self-defense argument or that that actually happened. There was some distance, either 20 or 50 feet still between them. So uh, Alistair didn't want to concern his mother, so he was able he had some shots. He could still feel his legs. It was blood going down his legs, but he got on his motorcycle, drove five kilometers to a third brother's place, actually his grocery store and uh, James called someone called 911 and they got that all dealt with. Anyway, so uh Ernest guilty of aggravated assault and uh, so will be sentenced at a later date. So anyway, kind of a crazy thing uh, with the uh, family members up in Big Interval. All right, last case I want to talk about is uh Caleb Borden and this was a case now the decision itself is not public and that's uh I guess an interesting, well, uh, an important place to start because we don't know exactly what's in the decision. We just see the CBC reported on it. The other interesting part is that Caleb Borden's lawyer provided the decision to the CBC. Okay. Uh, you would normally, well, maybe they were keeping in touch and they were publicizing the case and you're happy to provide the decision. It's nothing wrong with doing that. Uh, but given what's in the actual decision, I, I have a few questions about it. So let's, let's go through that. Uh, so what happened was Halifax Regional Police was looking for uh, somebody uh, that had fled a checkpoint. They thought uh, there was radio broadcast evidence that uh, the, uh, Caleb Horton was driving without lights. Uh, they stopped her vehicle, thinking that might have been the vehicle. The stop took less than one minute, and that there was no evidence that the police knew uh, Kayla Borden's race until she until they were at the side of the car. So, in the decision, it, it said uh, by the Nova Scotia Police Review Board that with her strong conviction of police racism, she refuses to accept the rationale behind the events of that night, even with full and clear tested evidence. And then further, there is not. An iota of evidence that conscious or unconscious racial bias or systemic racism had anything to do with the pursuit and arrest. So, uh, pretty strong uh, words in the decision. But in the CBC story, uh, the Miss Borden's lawyer Asaf Rashad, who's only a couple of years into practice, uh, recent call. So, some questions about that too. I mean, presumably, I don't know, maybe that was her first choice of lawyer, but maybe she went to others and wasn't getting accepted and this guy agreed to take on the case. To push it to judicial review, I can't imagine, uh, because they're gonna be hit with costs on this decision. The Police Review Board will award costs, I'm sure, against Miss Borden. Uh, and judicial review would cost a lot of money too, to do that, and uh, how is that being funded? Um, hard to know. Hard to know how that would uh, benefit anybody to take it to judicial review. Uh, the officers were represented by Natasha Najawan, who people would, might recognize from the Mass Casualty Commission and HRP itself. The regional police represented by Andrew uh, Andrew Goff. So, anyway, uh, I don't see what kind of uh, judicial review, uh, you know why anybody would take it to another level given the strong wording of that decision but uh, maybe she has has her reasons or um, something else but it doesn't seem like there's anything there I don't know if the police review board is going to post that decision at some point I think they should given the publicity of it but uh, we'll see so that's it for uh, this week covered some cases some interesting cases out of Nova Scotia this week uh, some legislation going through Parliament in Ottawa and uh, the Relatively uh, young, untimely, uh, and sad death of uh, Barbara Ann Reddick, So, um, former client of mine, and uh, so rest in peace to uh, to Barbara Ann Reddick, and uh, for everybody else, we'll uh, see you next time.